Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We are fully in the spring football session. Uh, the boys have been practicing uh, this week. We've seen some pictures. We've seen some videos. We finally got some talking happening uh, after today's practice. And you can go and see them on Saturday if you want. But uh, we kind of got football in the air, even though it's spring. And we're coming out of the snow, and I'm feeling pretty excited about everything. BK, how you doing, man? Um, football season is officially here. I don't um, worry about basketball anymore. It's not important. We are on to spring football. And it's a spring for the football team. It really has. They, they have been busy. You know, we've been we've been waiting for this week to roll around. And, you know, Drink just doesn't sit on his hands and do nothing. He is he is active at all, at all times. Uh, look no further than the recruiting trail. We got uh, two big... Uh, recruiting hits, uh, one for the 2021 class and one for the 2022 class. I know what you're all are thinking. I know what the most important one is, the big splash one. We'll go with him first. Mr. Sam Horn, uh, four-star quarterback coming out of the state of Georgia, uh, Collins Hill High School in Sewanee, Georgia. He is the number 79th ranked prospect in the country, the sixth rank, ranked pro quarterback in his class, and the seventh best player in the state of Georgia, a 5.9 four-star signing with Missouri from Georgia. This is rarefied air BK, and it's really a statement as to how good uh, Drinkwitz and his staff has been on the recruiting trail. It's unbelievable. This is the number of four-star commits that Drinkwitz has received and basically two full, well, really, one is mind-boggling, man. It's, it's something that we've... Honest to God, never seen at Mizzou. I mean, these are blue chips that are coming to Mizzou over big-time programs. Sam Horn could have gone basically anywhere that he wanted to. He had offers from Florida State and Florida. He could have gone to Tennessee if he wanted to. Vandy, Virginia Tech. These are, I mean, basically outside of Alabama or Clemson. He could have gone anywhere that he wanted to in the entire country. And he chose that he wanted to go to Mizzou. That's really meaningful. I mean, when you're getting a player like that at that specific position, the year after you just got a four-star quarterback, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I, I saw this earlier this week. I mentioned mm-hmm. it on Twitter as well. This is the first time that Mizzou's had back-to-back recruiting classes with a four-star quarterback ever. It's never happened in the 22 years that Rivals has been tracking ever. recruiting data. So... This is a new frontier for Mizzou on the uh, recruiting trail, and it's it's all traced back to what Eli Drinkwitz has done. He and his staff have done a fantastic job of building some of these relationships, both in-state and now we're starting to see the work out-of-state. And it's really impressive, man. I can't say enough just how important of a signing this potentially will be. And this is this is a, a Drinkwitz joint here. Uh, apparently he was a lead recruiter on the kid back at Appalachian State. Uh, had started a, a relationship with him back then, um, and Sam likes the guy. Now, obviously, he's uh, Drink is an offensive guy. He works with the quarterbacks. Uh, well, I mean, he works with the entire offense, but that means he worked with the quarterbacks a lot. So the relationship was there. He was the one that was doing a lot of the heavy lifting on recruiting this kid and pulled the trigger. Uh, it's incredible. I, I know recruiting during COVID is, is a little bit different, uh, as far as timelines go and, and what you can and can't do and the recruiting dead period, I, yeah, I get all that. I understand that these kids aren't getting to see the flashy uh, 
facilities at Clemson or Florida State or or Georgia or anything like that, and they're not really doing a lot of traveling, and they're not getting on the campus, and they're not getting McDonald's bags of cash huh. handed to them. So, like, it's a little bit different. At the same time, he's still committed to Missouri <laughs> in 2021. He is going. To, he is saying that he wants to play for the Tigers in 2022, and he knows what Drinkwitz vision is he knows the quarterback room he's walking into and he said yeah i'm coming here this is the best school for me right now and yeah you still got to hold on to him but it's way better to be holding on to him now with the with the commitment right now uh and we'll see what happens but it's it's just a testament to where drinkwitz is taking this program at least on the recruiting trail uh to heights that certainly you and i have never seen in our lives no, and nobody has. Let's let's be honest, man. Um, I mean, Gary Pinkle had some really good classes, but in terms of putting together back-to-back classes like it appears Drinkwitz is about to do, this is unprecedented. Uh, Gabe DeArmond had this in his story, and I thought it was a great note. In the previous 18 years prior to Eli Drinkwitz, Mizzou signed 12 out-of-state high school four-stars total. 12 in 18 years. Drinkwitz, if, if it ends up being true that Sam Horn signs with Mizzou, We'll have five in his second recruiting cycle. You're halfway to the 18-year total in two recruiting cycles, man. I mean, that's Mm – it's bonkers. And he's doing a lot of this. East St. Louis was a big part of it. Indianapolis last year was a significant part of it with Kyron Montgomery and Dalen Carnell. Mm -hmm. You add in now going into Georgia – these are the hotbed areas, Illinois, Indiana, Georgia. Now you're starting to see what some of those pipeline states could potentially be for Mizzou if they have the coaching staff to be able to take advantage of it. Do you know, off the top of your head, the last uh, Missouri recruit who came from Sewanee, Georgia? Do you know? Was it Nate Brown? It was Nate. Wow, look at you, Nate Brown. Yeah, out of North Gwinnett. Um, that was the last one. That was my guy. That's the only reason I know that is because Nate Brown I thought was going to be the next great Mizzou receiver. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all did. We all did. It's just he happened to end up on a Barry Odom team. So um, that's okay. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know if, if the Georgia pipeline is going to be uh, – is going to bear as much fruit as like an Indianapolis – uh, or the Chicago or Colorado pipelines that we're still conceivably possibly building, but or certainly in St. East St. Louis and, and St. Louis itself. Uh, Georgia is just over-recruited at this point. It's it's becoming Florida, where there are so many kids, there are so many overlooked kids, and all the top t- top-tier kids are getting picked off by every blue blood across the country. It's, it's very well-worn territory, but still, mm-hmm. we still got the guy, uh, and that is, that is awesome. Have we... Man, have we ever talked about blue chip ratio? Do you know what that is, BK? I know that it's super important to win national titles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's essentially based in the modern era. Like, let's let's call it what it is, and let's say the modern era is like basically two thousand five on. In the modern era, college football teams that win national championships have a blue chip ratio of the on their roster of greater than fifty percent. What that means is that when you look at their entire roster makeup of all the kids they have recruited, of all the high school kids they recruited and transfers they brought in, those rankings from their high school days um, are four stars or five stars. You need a roster with more than 50% of your team at four or five star level. That's, that's basically the gist. No team has won a national championship 
with fewer than 50% of their roster as blue chip high school recruits. Missouri, under Barry Odom, was usually around the 4 or 5% range. Um, Drinkwitz in his first year was at 5%. Last year they were at 5%. After this, 2000, uh, the 2021 recruiting class, it doubled to 10%. 10% of Missouri's roster is not, are now blue chip recruits. And now, on top of that, now obviously, you know, you could, we could probably lose uh, Daniel Parker Jr. Um, after this year, and who knows what, you know, who knows what else can happen. Mm-hmm. But let's say you only lose DPJ, and oh, by the way, you're bringing in Sam Horn, Isaac Thompson, and whatever blue chips he can bring in. Like, I'm not saying we're getting to 50, percent but we have doubled it in one year, and he is quickly stalking. Uh, the roster with with blue chips and then those those high three star guys that we love so much too. So it's just a testament to his recruiting prowess, his ability to get these guys on campus. And they're they're going to be young for a couple of years, but man, twenty twenty three, whew, this team's going to kick some ass, man. Yeah, and and let's be honest, like Mizzou's goal right now is not winning the national championship. But if you can up that um, up that level to twenty twenty five percent. Now you're talking about maybe being able to at least compete for a title in the SEC East if everything falls your way. You know, like if if Georgia has a down year, Florida has a little bit of a down year, and Mizzou plays really well against at least one of them, well, now you've got a shot. you got a fighting chance in, in this division. And no, that's not winning a national championship. But at Mizzou, I, th- I think that's how I define success right now is like uh, peak years, actually, is can you compete to win this division? It's really tough to win this division. If you can do it, that's a really successful season. And then you go lose to Alabama, and there's no shame in that. But <laughs> yeah. national titles are tough to win, and especially in the Nick Saban era, they're they're damn near impossible to win at a place like Mizzou. But when you have recruiting at this level, it it shrinks that gap that we saw last year between a place like Florida and Georgia and where Mizzou was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Missouri, since they've entered the SEC, has recruited at basically 12th, 13th, or 14th in the league when it all shakes out. And even this past class, the one that ranked 21st, I think ranked 8th in the SEC for 2021. So, like, that's where you need to be. You need borderline top 20 classes just to compete with your neighbors, man. And it's not going to look good. Again, you're going to be 6th, 7th, or 8th. But bringing that 6th, 7th, or 8th best class with a staff that seems to be knowing what they're doing, uh, that's that's the recipe to to competing consistently year in and year out. Gary Pinkle was able to do it. He was able to do it by developing guys way past what they could be and, and maximizing uh, blue you know key blue chip guys that were in state. Um, so you know he put together rosters. You talked about those peak years. You know you have a boom and then you rebuild for one year. You kind of hint at it the next year and then you have a two thousand seven or 2013 where you break through and you and you win double digit games that's how he did it 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 doesn't really work like that in the sec like you could have top 25 classes like at Ole Miss or Mississippi State and you can still have crap years where you win four or five games but it just eliminates a lot of that that build uh you look at last year's team how many two stars do we have starting I think it was like four or five that's that's a direct product of Barry Odom's recruiting ability. He he couldn't get those guys in, so your 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 upperclassmen, your senior leaders, are two star guys, and that's okay. You can do well with with a couple of those guys who develop well, but you don't want your entire first string chock full of those guys. You need some impact blue chippers in there too, 
and 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 Trinkwitz has done that so far and uh who knows where he can end up as as this recruiting class goes on and as we go into future years but uh we were all worried about a possible drop off after this magical 21 class and so far it certainly doesn't seem to show that he's uh, slowing down well let's be honest about this right like I'll, I'll go ahead and put a name on it in particular a guy that kind of stands out to me like chris turner's a perfectly acceptable player if yeah. he was an early down run stuff and no issues with that that's a fine guy to have on your roster and if he's a junior senior that ends up getting some snaps especially on early downs um as more of a depth player that's fine you can you can live with that you can be good with a player like that in your lineup the problem is when chris turner and coming into this season this was the case it didn't end up finishing that way because trajan jeffcoat was awesome but chris turner was expected to be the number one defensive end on the roster that's kind of unacceptable. That's where you get, it's the Peter principle, right? He was kind of promoted a step too far. And that that is where these blue chip talents, what they allow you to do, and Mizzou has a lot of them coming in on the defensive line now, what they allow you to do is get the future Chris Turner, the guy that you get that's a Juco player that you're just kind of plugging a hole, he ends up being more of a depth piece, somebody that plays 15 snaps a game as opposed to 60-70% of the snaps in a game. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I know, gosh, Mizzou fans are just the best, number one, but also hilariously predictable. Um, I saw a lot of kind of murmur, uh, a hullabaloo, like, oh, well, we got, you know, got Connor Bazelak, the freshman, co-freshman of the year. We got four-star Tyler Macon, and you got four-star Sam Horn. Well, guess one of them's going to transfer away. That sucks. Okay. Yes, listeners. It's very likely one of those three is going to transfer and not going to finish their career at Missouri. That's okay. <laughs> that is totally okay. If they are transferring away, it means they couldn't cut it. They couldn't beat the guy in front of them. You want the best quarterback playing. And if it's a three-star or if it's a four-star or a five-star or two-star, it doesn't matter. It is you get the talent in the room, you figure out – who can step up and be the best with that talent around them? And if it's Tyler Macon or if it's Sam Horn or if it's Connor Bazelak, I don't care. But this is how Clemson does it. This is how Alabama does it. They hoard all the blue chips, all the stars they can. Some of them transfer away, and they go, cool, and they replace them. And I'm not saying Drinkwitz is going to get to that level, but that's the kind of mentality you need to have, especially in your quarterback room. And if one of them transfers, good. They can do something somewhere else, and we have the right guy in place, and that is a very comforting thought. Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama, and they were <laughs> fine. Hurts, um, finalist. You look at what – so th this is what you don't want to happen, though. This is – so Jalen Hurts transferred because Alabama picked the right quarterback. They went with mm -hmm. a younger guy, and Tua was better than Jalen Hurts, and that was the right decision. Now, what you don't want to have happen, and this is the risk with something like this, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a good problem to have, don't become Georgia. <laughs> don't be in a situation yeah. where you have Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, and uh, Justin, Justin Fields, Fields mm -hmm. and you end up picking Jake Fromm because he's the game manager that you can win with that's not going to hurt you. No, go with Justin Fields because he's better. <laughs> he's more talented, <laughs> at, and he's just the overall better football player. That's that's the one thing that you do risk here is picking wrong and then ending up living to regret it, but that's where the trust comes in with Drinkwitz that, as a quarterback guy himself, that's what he was brought here for. He's going to pick the right guy to lead Mizzou wherever they're ultimately going to go. That's his next job. 
first, get the talent in the room. Second, pick the guy that's going to be the best guy for the job and then allow that guy to lead you to wherever you're going to go. Absolutely. So very big get for the 2022 class. Now, keep in mind, it's been a while since we've talked to you guys. The 2021 class got a little bit of a boost as well. Uh, former Tennessee commit Jamarian Gooch decommitted from Tennessee. He's from Seymour, Tennessee, uh, Kings Academy High School. Uh, and he committed to Mizzou. He was the 54th best tackle in the class of 2021. Uh, and he was the 17th best player in the state of Tennessee. This boy is 6'8", 6'8", 340 pounds. <laughs> and he's 18 years old. And he's going to come play for Missouri this year. Um, it's a, it's a great get. Obviously, I, you know, we've, I don't know if anyone's scarred by this, but we know that the Barry Odomer like to pick just the biggest offensive lineman, throw him out there and just be beefy. Um, this is, this is a huge dude. And apparently, uh, from what I've seen on tape and what I've heard from Drinkwitz, he, he is a very athletic six, eight, three forty. Um, I am also just tickled to death that in the same recruiting class, we have a guy with the last name butts and the last name Gooch. Uh, one who plays tackle and one plays running back, and now we can call our off-tackle running the Swamp Ass Special. So uh, all, all sorts of good things happening for the Tigers, but uh, did you watch any tape I, on Jamarian Gooch, and, and what do you think about this signing? I haven't gotten there yet on the tape. Uh, I had a, had a few things coming up this week, sure, but sure. I will say this. I like seeing offensive linemen with offers from Auburn, Florida State, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Tennessee, USC. That's that's a nice offer list for a guy that was a 5.63 star, you know? Mm -hmm. So he he's technically a three star, but he was rated as a top 55 player at his position. Um, I'm into that. I'm into six, eight. <laughs> I'm into 340 pounds. If it is constructed in the proper way. And if he's an athletic dude, I would imagine it probably is. Um, this is one of those guys that you want to get in. And as a late addition, pretty damn good. Now I would be even better. If they're able to add another former Tennessee player in this Cody Brown. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen this, but former Tennessee commit four-star running back uh, Cody Brown was tweeting with the new quarterback commit saying, hey, you need a new teammate out there at Mizzou? Cody Brown is currently uncommitted. He is in the 2021 class. Uh, so keep an eye on that one as well. God. If – Look, I don't I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. That that's a terrible idea to do as a Missouri fan, even though I make fun of everybody for being doom and gloom, and I am. Uh it takes one to know one, right? Here's the thing. If we get this guy, <laughs> like, what can't Drinkwitz do mm -hmm. <laughs> like, on the recruiting trail? Well, it, it would just be absolutely incredible. Uh he is six foot two eleven. It's a five point eight four star out of Lilburn, Georgia. Oh, Georgia, Parkview High School. Yeah, they played okay. against each other in high school. Yeah, Auburn. UCF, Florida, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Kentucky, LSU, Miami, the U, Michigan State, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Penn State. And he's the number I, 11 running everybody. back in the country. Like, he can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, he can go anywhere he wants. He's number 193rd best player in the country right now. He can go anywhere. And he's tweeting at Sam Horn and saying, hey, 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 be new teammates. Let's be teammates. Getting good players means other good players want to come play with them. That's how that works. And so that's why it it's so important that Mizzou's getting some of these blue chippers. Yeah, it's actually it's it's more important to have them sign than it is to have them play. That's a yeah. little bit of hyperbole, but you get the idea. It's all about the the reputation. It's what you can pitch. It's hey, this guy's coming. Why aren't you? What's he see that you don't? Why can't you come in and, and do what he's doing here? Like this is, 
I've never been a huge fan of recruiting, BK, just because it's like I, I was always big on the development and like who who starts, who gets there, the story. Well, you're a Mizzou fan. N- yeah. Now I'm like <laughs> – So, of course. I'm like updating Power Mizzou like, oh, what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> More recruits coming my way. It's 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 fun. I, I, this is – this is incredible. It's the most exciting to be a Mizzou, most exciting time to be a Mizzou football fan in terms of like building for the future since the mm-hmm. early 2000s. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. It's been 20 years since it's been this exciting, and I was like eight when that was happening, so I wasn't <laughs> quite following recruiting or the sure. the day in day out like news as much as I am today, of course. And so if if you're an older fan, if you're in your 40s or 50s, this is probably the most exciting time that you've had as a Mizzou fan looking towards the future since then. And maybe with the lone exception being like 2011, 2012, prior to the SEC move, you could have included that as well. Yeah. Those are like the Sorry. three main building parts of this Mizzou program. And I think you can start adding 2020, 2021 to that list. Absolutely. That's, that's incredible. Um so that was just i'd have no words left to for what these guys are able to pull off it's absolutely incredible so uh we also uh lost a lost a defensive backs coach uh david gibbs you know my favorite person in the world david gibbs uh he is now uh ucf's co-defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach uh joining gus malzahn uh down in orlando florida so so long david uh thank you for your recruiting we appreciate it and uh, Drinkwitz went out and got himself a new defensive backs coach uh, by the name of Aaron Fletcher, who, uh, as of recently, was Tulsa's cornerbacks uh, coach. Uh, young guy, 40, yeah, 40 years old, uh, worked his way up through the Texas high school ranks, uh, Lancaster High School to David H or David W. Carter High School of the because uh, they were the they were the ones that played oh. Permian High School in Friday Night Lights. So they're kind of the bad guys in that movie. Yeah. Um, huh. they, they weren't very good when he was there, but that's that's the high school we're talking about. Uh, from there, he went to Houston Baptist, started that uh, that team up in 2012, and then he worked his way to Tulsa. And now he's here, so he is a, he's an interesting dude. One thing I noticed, BK, because uh, I've done all of these these coach breakdowns, is that most of these guys have had like a string of successful stints, right? That's why they keep getting jobs. You have a team that wins eight, nine, ten games somewhere, and you translate that to another power five job uh, Fletch is young obviously he's not he's not as old as some of these guys but he has two winning seasons <laughs> to his name as a, as a college coach uh, and he's been around a lot of bad football uh, and it, it was kind of surprising to see that uh, that he hasn't had kind of the the win-loss record that some of these guys have but uh, he has no no direct relationship with any of the guys on staff so he seems to have been recruited based based off of merit which is good um and he's stepping up to fill in the texas recruiting that uh, david gibbs is leaving a hole in so any immediate thoughts on this hire or, or what do you think so far i think everything that i've heard about him is that this was a slam dunk a plus 10 out of 10 hire um this dude from what i understand about what he did inside of the tulsa community is a really fantastic like grade a human being uh, read up on it. What he was able to do down there is is remarkable. Um, he was such a part of the fabric of the community in Tulsa. He became such a part of the fabric that he actually wrote a goodbye letter in their newspaper, which is not something you see from a position coach <laughs> at a college yeah. anywhere, yeah. much less at a decent-sized market in a place like Tulsa. Um, he's. I think Mizzou fans are going to love this guy. 
and I think he's probably going to be a, a defensive coordinator at the Power Five, if not the Division One level, very, very soon. He had a cornerback last year in the NFL draft by the name of Reggie Robinson. Now, mm-hmm. this guy does not profile quite as much like a lot of Mizzou's uh, corners. He's He is 6'1", but he... he Played a little smaller than that mm-hmm. at Tulsa, but he was a heck of a player there. Had a ton of ball production. Um, that's, I mean, that's just one example of the type of guy that he could produce. He ended up going in the fourth round in the NFL draft last year, and that's Aaron Fletcher. That's his link to the program. I'm super excited about this, man. I couldn't be more excited, honestly. They have so much talent at that position, and now they have a guy that I trust to be able to develop that talent. I mean, it's it's huge. For them to get him in is a massive, massive hire. That is key. Reggie Robinson, uh, in two years, had 18 passes broken up and four interceptions. And 13 of those were in 2019. <laughs> so uh, he, he was a monster. And he was the, I think he was Tulsa's highest drafted player since 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a two-star safety coming out of high school. And last year, uh, Fletch's corner, starting corners, Allie Green the fourth and Caleb Evans, um, they they were three year starters. Uh, they were both pretty active in pass defense, and they were also both all three of those guys were two star safeties coming out of high school. And Fletch brought them in, turned them into starters. Grant, I mean, it's 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 the G five, yes, but American is is a pretty good conference, guys. Um, and, and and they were solid, absolutely solid in pass defense for most of his tenure, and and just tremendously good last year. So I think you said the, the key thing you said is development. Uh, yeah. We've got what five young corners coming in right now. Dude, or at least some five really years. intriguing ones. Yeah. Like a lot of raw athleticism that needs to be focused. And I mean, just based off of his prior production as a position coach, it's hard not to be excited to see what he can do with these guys. Uh, no, nothing against you know David Gibbs or, or Charlie Harbison or or you know Steve Wilkes, uh, who who are also active in the defensive backs room. But like th- these are going to be his guys, and and you, we, you talked about the athleticism of of uh, Zaquan Reeves, right? You oh, talked yeah. about uh, what what Davian Sistrunk or you know what Enos Rakestraw can do with a little bit more seasoning. And and here's your guy. This is it. I don't know like Jadarius Perkins, like what he could do with a little bit more coaching and development, but. You need solid corners. You need a solid secondary to have defensive success. And uh, it sounds like Drink found a perfect guy to do it, and I, I can't wait you know, long-term to see uh, how these young guys shape up. They have so many talented corners on the roster. Like Daylon Carnell, I cannot wait mm-hmm. for him to be able to get his hands on Carnell to see what that guy can do in this system. Um, you, you mentioned the guy that I'm most excited about, which is Sistrunk, um, a kid that played basketball for the majority of his high school career. Decided to play football, I believe it was his junior year, was his first season, and then was just dynamite. And is an unbelievable athlete who still needs to figure out how to play the position, but that's why you hire a guy like this, to be able to teach him how to play the position at a really high level. The other guy that you mentioned that was really important is Jadarius Perkins, one of the top Juco players in the country who I watched his tape and I was like, I don't know for sure that he knows what he's doing, but he looks like a pretty good athlete. (laughs) He's really long and rangy. Mm -hmm. This is the guy to get the most out of Jadarius Perkins. So it makes a ton of sense. It was a fantastic hire. It was not on my radar at all because he has almost no connection whatsoever to the Mizzou staff that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
the guy can coach, and he was beloved at Tulsa, so I'm really excited to see what he can do in Columbia. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see his recruiting chops either. Uh, obviously, Missouri has had a lot of success with Texas guys. Uh, Fletch is a Texas boy through and through. He he went to high school there. He went to college there. He's he's coached there. Tulsa is basically Texas's hat anyway, so um, he's he's a good fit to to replace what Gibbs was bringing to this to this staff. Uh, so it, really excited to see what he can do. Uh, also curious at how expensive he was. <laughs> I haven't seen the contract finals finalized yet, but. Uh, God, I have to think he was probably a pretty good deal as well. Uh, not to say that he won't earn his keep and, and get a couple more uh, bucks coming his way with the produ- with the production that he can do with the corners. But did Gibbs um, have another title? He had another title too, didn't he? On top of just he, he was uh, he, so he was senior uh, def- like assistant defensive head coach or something like that. So, I was about to say, I wonder if he got one of those. It could be. He could be. You know, those are mostly yeah, just bucks. <laughs> exactly to, to they, you, you just there. add add a title to be able to get more money so i yeah. wonder if they gave him one of those could be could be um but yeah, yeah i i agree with you it sounds like it's a steal uh, and i'm excited to see what he can do uh, off the field and then of course how he can develop these guys on the field too so we've been dancing around defense and uh last time we talked to you guys we talked about uh bk's offensive analysis and my returning production on the offensive side uh, so tonight we're going to dive into the defense. Uh, I know that uh, BK's piece uh, on the safeties dropped today. Uh, my returning production went up last week, something like that. So let, let's just kind of get into it here. The thing that you got to remember about Missouri's defense last year is that it probably wasn't as good as you thought it was. Mm-hmm. And, and now uh, they are missing their top three guys, uh, at least the top three tacklers. The thing about returning production as far as a predictor for future success is that, yes, sacks are important. Yes, tackles for loss are important. But you can pretty much plug in any guy, uh, and, and whether you have that returning or not, it doesn't make a huge impact on the predictive factors of how good a defense is going to be the next year. The biggest predictors are tackles, how many guys who made as many tackles are coming back, and what kind of uh, – uh, passing game disruption that you have, uh, specifically passes broken up from your corners and stuff like that. And Missouri returns a ton of their tackles for loss in their sacks, and they don't return a lot of the guys who made the tackles <laughs> and made the passes broken up. So it doesn't look so great. That's okay. Um, let's start first on the defensive line. Who are you looking at? Obviously, Trajan Jeffcoat is kind of the guy right now, and Kobe Whiteside was the guy, so we'll be curious to see what he can do. But – What's your what's your storyline as far as the Missouri defensive line go? Which of the young guys can step up, if any, to make it into the rotation this year? I mean that that's yeah. probably the biggest thing. Um, I think the answer is probably going to be very few for twenty twenty one. I think that's more going to be a twenty twenty two storyline in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, who's going to make the jump is probably the more realistic one. Like, is there a guy, especially on the interior, because that was probably the most disappointing thing to me about the defense a year ago. I thought the defensive line from the interior was going to get a lot of pre- a lot of pressure. They ended up getting almost none throughout the season. And so who who's going to be able to step up and contribute that? Can Kobe Whiteside do it in a full healthy fingers crossed season? Is there somebody else that can can kind of fill into that role? That's probably the number one among the realistic outcomes thing that I'm going to be watching for. And I hope the answer to that question is Darius Robinson by the way. <sighs> Yeah, buddy. He he was 
a disruptive presence. We talked about this during the season. Mm-hmm. I was folding in offensive line, been like, you know, in the middle of the season, like, where has this been? And then he'd just be gone. <laughs> he's just gone. Now, I know part of that was um, injured or COVID. I don't remember which one it was, but he, he missed a ton of games. So I know that wasn't like uh, an inconsistency from his performance standpoint. It was just he wasn't on the field. Uh, same for, for Whiteside. So a full season of both of those guys is going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, you know, Devin uh, – sorry, <laughs> wrong name. Uh, as far as Darius Robinson goes, he had a lot of just – like you didn't see a lot of stat stuffing uh, kind of yeah. going for him. Like you didn't see a lot of tackles for loss. He was making the guys around him better. So that's one of those. And that's why defense is so tough to project. Like a lot of it is you scheme guys to not make plays, but you're kind of scheming guys to just disrupt and have somebody else clean it up. That's why you see a lot of linebackers just be stat machines. So you need pressure from the interior. Obviously we have Trajan Jeff code on one side I don't think Chris Turner is ever going to make the jump. I'll just I'll just say that out loud. So, like, who is the defensive lineman in your eyes who needs to make the jump for next year to play opposite Trajan Jeffcoat? I think I think Kyron Montgomery is probably the guy that is most likely to among the young players. Mm-hmm. I I don't think there's an answer here, man. That's the that's the thing that's frustrating yeah. is I I don't know that they have an obvious guy. What about um, a Jatorian Hansford? Maybe, maybe, um, I don't, I just don't know with him exactly what, what the ceiling is, but hopefully I I think he's probably, if you're looking for like hope trafficking, he's probably the one, maybe, (laughs) maybe Isaiah McGuire. If I'm, if I'm going to give you an answer that is probably more realistic. I just wonder what is he? Is Isaiah McGuire a defensive end or a defensive tackle? Do we know? Uh, Yes. He's both. Okay. He's both. Yeah. He's whatever you want him to be. Because I think he profiles a little better, like as a pass rusher, probably coming from the interior. But mm-hmm. I know he played a ton on the outside last year. I wonder if that's going to change at all in their in their new defense. But see, he had to play a ton on the outside last year because he had to. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any other options. You know, he was he was the the defensive end in a three four essentially. Um, so he was still kind of a uh, he had the defensive tackle approach just on the on the outside. So. I mean, we, we've talked about this before. Coney Ely, big defensive end. He could provide a really good pass rush on the inside, and he could play the outside too. When they'd get into third downs, they'd do the candy the candy formation. Yep. They'd slide Coney inside and put uh, Shane Ray on the outside with Michael Sam on the other. Just, <laughs> just magical, magical sack magic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he can move around. He can do a lot of things. He's kind of what we thought uh, Akio Byers was going to be, who also should be stepping up. <clears throat> Um, whether he will or not is kind of up for debate. Who would be but your pick? For me, I, I would love to see a freshman, but but I think it's a Jatorian Hansford or, yes, uh, an Isaiah McGuire if he plays on the outside. Hansford has a lot of experience. I know he doesn't have a lot of stats, but if, you, if you're looking for someone to make the Michael Sam trademark leap, uh, that's going to be your guy. Kind of a, someone who's quietly been around and seen the field, but he hasn't really made a lot of waves. And finally, everything clicks in year three or four, you know, and, and suddenly he's he's a disruptive presence. I would, if I had to guess, I would say Hansford. But, dude, I would love nothing more than, like, a younger guy, whether it is Montgomery or Travion Ford or Johnny Jones or Arden Walker or Johnny Walker. Like, I don't care. 
if one of the younger guys gets in there, that's what I really, really want. If it's not one of them, give me Hansford, who's been around for a little bit. That's all. Yeah, I think if I were to give like an official answer, I'd go Isaiah McGuire, but yeah. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it. I don't either because again, it's kind of like where is he going to play, mm-hmm. and how how frequently is Wilkes going to deploy him, and where? Please so. go be great, Trajan Jeffcoat. Thanks so Please. much for that. Appreciate you. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. By the way, that was great. Um. So yeah, defensive line, it, it, there are some questions there. But really, the big question mark, and we've talked about this before, and you've certainly highlighted it in your piece, is the linebacking core. Mm-hmm. I know there is a, a somewhat of a mental answer in Mr. Blaze Aldridge coming in from Rice, but you have Devin Nicholson, and then you had a poo-poo platter of underclassmen who kind of rotated in and tried to replace Bolton towards the end of the year, including Chad Bailey, uh, and and Gerald Nathan Jr. and Cameron Wilkins. So and Jamal Brooks a little bit there. Jamal Brooks too. too. So like, what what are the linebackers? Are we deploying three or two? And and who who needs to do what? BK. The, the majority of the time, especially given the way the college offenses are set up, you're going to be in the nickel. So uh, the way that Steve Wilkes likes to do it, it's a four-two-five nickel, four down linemen, two linebackers, five defensive backs. I think you're going to see more three-corner, two-safety looks with Steve Wilkes, um, but that's just kind of big-picture sense. So the reason I say that, I think you're going to see mostly two linebackers on the field, and that's more because of what the opposing offense is doing than that being their quote-unquote base. They'll play a 4-3, but that's only when there's going to be like two running backs and a tight end on the field or two tight ends and a running back, and we don't see that a ton unless you're playing Georgia. So... I think Devin Nicholson's going to be one of them. I would say my favorite to be the other right now is Blaze Aldridge. If it is not Blaze Aldridge, I saw the reports from practice the other day seemed to indicate that it was Chad Bailey who was out there. I hope he can do it. I want to see Chad Bailey succeed. He's got the pedigree. It just didn't look great at times last year. So I would say if I'm going with somebody else, Jamal Brooks, um, but that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I would put all of my eggs in the Blaze Aldridge basket. What about for you? I agree. You don't bring in transfers to have them sit, and regardless of his speed or his experience level, hanging uh, out in Conference USA, he is he's a senior. He's an experienced piece. Uh, he's a character guy. Uh, he he's proven himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he was all all Conference USA. Like that's. That's not an accident, regardless of what you think in the talent uh, of that conference. So you bring that kind of guy in to play immediately and provide an impact. So my money would be on him as well. But, yeah, if it's a Chad Bailey, good for him. That's that's a guy that I've, I think you and I have both pulled for um, in his time on campus just because we want to see those four-star guys find success. Kind of surprising, uh, Chad Bailey was fifth on the team in tackles for loss. Never would have thought really? that. No, yeah, I think it, most of it came in junk time against Georgia and Mississippi State, but you know, still he top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so for whatever that's worth, there you go. But yeah, you know, we've talked about this before. Chad just looked lost. Uh, I can't. I, I can remember two specific instances towards the end of the year when they were trying to fill in for Nick, and you could see the defensive lining up, and there's Chad Bailey just hands in the air going, "I don't know," and. You're like, oh, th- we can't have that. We can't have that in year three of you being on campus, even especially with the Ryan Walters defense that you should be familiar with. So he certainly has the talent. He's got the athleticism. Now he's just got to get the mental part together. And 
if he's making that leap, that's that's really good. I like to see that. But really, you're just looking for literally anybody to fill in the tackle machine spot that is left by Nick Bolton. And it's not going to be Nick Bolton. It's not going to have the production that we love. But you have to have replacement-level linebacker. And if it's Blaze, if it's Chad, whatever, just just give me that and I'd be happy for this season. The other thing that we need to remember here is it's not just the on-field production that they're losing in Nick Bolton. It's also the leadership that they are losing yeah. in him. And this is not me like saying the rah-rah, let's-go-team leadership stuff. Like Some of that is important, obviously, but it's on the field. Like Being a coach out there and making sure that your guys are lined up in the right position. Because once you start lining up, your coach can't individually come in and be like no 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 there's been an adjustment you need to now adjust your linebackers yeah. typically at least one of them is in charge of a lot of those checks mm-hmm. nick bolton had that ability in the uh mizzou defense last year who's gonna call the plays and who's gonna adjust the team once they get lined up i don't know the answer to that question right now but it's going to be something that they have to get figured out throughout spring and then into fall camp it sounds like Jamal Brooks is certainly taking a uh, a vocal leadership position during spring training, which is cool. Uh, I know Devin Nicholson was was covering for Nick towards the end of the year mm-hmm. as far as calling out coverages and, and getting everybody lined up, and he's got a whole off season to figure that out as well. So linebacker is just it's it's a weak spot. It's been a weak spot even with Nick Bolton in the past couple of years. Well, uh, let's just be honest. The last basically since Spoon, I mean they they, they have a couple of guys here and there. Um, yeah. Spoon was great. You look back to um, Kentrell Brothers, who was fantastic, mm-hmm. and Nick Bolton. But it's not like it's been a rotation of of great players that have been next to them as well. Yeah, they've gotten I mean, by with get, some solid guys. We only had the the Bolton Garrett experience for ah uh, Garrett is five, one that I should have mentioned as well. Five games mm-hmm. in 2019 before he ripped his peck off. So I mean, you didn't even get a full season out of that, and that was kind of going to, that could have been a transcendent season for him and it just wasn't so yeah it's like it's, it's tough to get the get two on the field at the same time that are really really freaking good that's actually uh, a really so. interesting question maybe we should look into this at some point in the offseason what was hmm. the best linebacking core that mizzou's had over the last decade like <laughs> for an individual season where the two two or three guys were lining up next to each other it, it's tough to do off the top of my head right now but i I would imagine if you like put less weight on the one individual, it'd be closer than we think. So are you are you like a two? Because I mean they ran a four three forever, right? You just need two out of three, or or at a four three or the two linebacking two. core. So like if it's a four two five that they were running or whatever, how, however you want to look at it, um, in an individual season, the guys that were out there at linebacker, you know? Yeah. How when does your Missouri football knowledge really? really start about 2000 you. yeah 2000? right around then mm-hmm. do you remember that 04 linebacking core of james kinney and marcus bacon that was a good one that would be one of them for me sean weatherspoon and brockett christopher mm-hmm. in 2006 2007 you know van alexander was pretty good too so that was those were the three guys i think they ran it for six seven and eight so that might have been for sure but in the last the decade it's it's really dropped off you know I mean, like you it said, depends. you you have that that one short short stint where you had Bolton there um, with Kale Garrett, but other than that, yeah. I mean, I don't know how people feel about Andrew Gatchkar. I thought he was pretty good. He, was he and Zav- uh, Xavier Gooden were a good tandem in ten. I, I was think. about to say, does that 
what year was that? Uh, 2010. Xavier Good okay. and Will Ebner, Andrew Gatchkar. That, was, that was a good one. That was a good one. That was a good um, one. What was the 13? 13 was Brothers. Is that Bonner? Bonner Brothers and Wilson? I know I Andrew th- Wilson was on there. I don't think Brothers was a part of that one. Let me look at um, Wilson was for sure. I think because he was a captain on that team. I, I think Brothers was. was 14 15 because he was on that horrendous 15 uh, team where he was amazing right. and the rest of the, the offense just couldn't get anything going. Yeah. Shear, was he? He was 14 15 as well. He was 15, 16. 14 15 16. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Lee was pretty good in pass coverage, but he yeah, was he solid. Wasn't much. Um, Therese Hall, Kale Garrett, Brandon Lee in seventh. That might have been that okay. might have been the best one. That might have been one? the best one of the last like like from two thousand. Let's say SEC Mizzou. That might have been the best one actually. Yeah, because they they put Brandon Lee back to strong side and then had Therese on the weak side and Kale in the. That was actually yeah, that was pretty good. Probably the good. one. Yeah. Man. Not not a great uh, linebacker pedigree <laughs> outside of Spoon and brothers and and uh and bolton so they've had individual yeah. breakouts but it's been tough to be yeah. able to put together a full position at any one time. yeah yeah college football's hard man uh so then we go from linebacker we go to the secondary and you know, we've already touched on this a little bit with with uh, the fletch talk but you just got a, a, a mother freaking load of freshmen in the, in the defensive secondary, which I swear I, I keep saying it. I know this is why one of the big reasons Ryan Walters was like, see ya. <laughs> uh, the last thing you want is a super young secondary. Uh, but you do return Jarvis Ware and Enos Rakestraw uh, as, you know, you're, you're kind of your, your, your nominal starting corners. And then your safeties, you got Martez Manuel, you got Sean Robinson, and Jelani Williams, and then there's a bunch of young guys that, that kind of rotated in at the end there. So I personally think it's going to be a rough season in the secondary just because it was last year, and that was with Josh Bledsoe uh, and Tyree Gillespie. What are your kind of thoughts going into this year for the for this secondary? I think I'm going to be higher on the corners than you are. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Because I think Jarvis Ware, well, the big thing is we got to figure out this knee situation. It sounds like he had surgery um, and is rehabbing down in Florida right now, which Mm -hmm. I don't think is as big of a deal as it sounds because a lot of the classes that they're taking right now are online anyways. So Mm -hmm. if he feels more comfortable rehabbing in Florida, that's fine. No problem. Um, But I feel pretty good about him if he's healthy. I feel pretty good about Enos Rakestraw. And you go into the season, if one of the young guys steps up or if Birdine takes a step forward, I think they're going to be able to piece things together there. Safety's a little different. I don't know what they're going to do there, man. Yeah. I got no idea. I got I have no answers for you on what they're going to do at safety. Martez Manuel is fantastic, and he's going to be a really good player. And I'm really interested to see how they use him because – he doesn't have a natural fit in a true 4-2-5 defense. If they play 4-3, I think he's probably best suited to be one of those outside backers that has a lot of coverage responsibilities. Mm-hmm. In a 4-2-5, playing a deep safety, especially if they're playing a, a decent amount of cover 2, doesn't really fit his skill set. So maybe this goes back to our linebacker conversation. One thing we could see is them putting him next to Devin Nicholson in the 4-2-5. And then going yeah. with true two true safeties on the back end. The question is, who are those guys? I don't have an answer for you there. Jelani Williams is probably one. Who's the other? I don't know. 
I mean, towards the end of the year, it was Jelani and, and Mason Pack, the the walk on senior from Springfield. So yeah, I know Chris Sheeran. I believe I, I've read that correctly. He is he is getting snaps with the first team safeties. Um, he was a he was a corner in name, I believe, as of last year. Yeah, uh, I didn't even have him in my write up on on yeah. safeties. <clears throat> Yeah, now he opted out last year and he decided to come back. He was the only opt out that did come back. So you got him obviously taking reps with the ones. Sean Robinson, our our quarterback turned safety. Uh, if he starts, that's a really cool story. Doesn't say a whole lot about the safety depth, um, or maybe he is really good. I don't know. The the crazy thing about Sean. Uh, is that he was one of the most disruptive members of the secondary <laughs> in 2020, and he played uh, 23 snaps, I believe, in, in the secondary. So uh, that's kind of weird, but also kind of cool. Um, two pass breakups and an, an interception to his name. So we've seen quarterbacks make the switch <clears throat> to the defensive side, uh, either as linebacker like a Joel Lanning or as, as a safety, which makes a lot more sense as far as reading routes and playing the passing game. He could be a revelation and we don't know it, but without without just putting lofty goals on him for no reason, it is a little weird to have your last year's starting quarterback be your starting safety. <laughs> so um, if you I mean, we, we've talked about kind of the, the, the lineup that you want to see if they roll out. Let's see here. Martez was strong safety last year. So mm-hmm. if you have Martez Manuel, Jelani Williams and a Sean Robinson as your first three. Do you feel like that is a positive thing, or are you going, hmm, I wonder what the issue is? I I think it's almost the expectation now, right? I mean, outside of Chris Sheeran, who I, I just don't know. I mean, it. Yeah. maybe he's going to be great at it. Maybe he's going to struggle. It's, it's so hard to know for certain. Um, but that would probably be the only other guy that I think I would include in there. M- maybe Stacey Brown? Yeah. Um, I just don't know. There's so much uncertainty because for so long, Joshua Bledsoe and Tyree Gillespie were just like plug and play, right? Mm-hmm. We, we had basically three years, almost four full seasons of knowing that those guys were going to be out there every snap that they were available and you figure it out around them. Mm-hmm. For the first time not having that in four years, basically, it it begs some massive questions at the position as to who's going to be able to step up without them. Martez Manuel's one. I think Jelani Williams will be another. And then the question becomes, do you have a third? Do you need a third? And that's that's where this, this defensive staff has its work cut out for it. You could talk yourself into Jalen Carley's stepping up mm-hmm. and, and, and getting some stars and reps. You could even say, hey, the freshman Tyler Hibbler, he, he is a, you know, he is, he's a William Moore clone and he is, starting from day one and he doesn't leave until he graduates like yeah you could you could say that you could say anything and, and, and believe it if you want uh just from an odd standpoint and knowing how difficult this game can be you just you can't expect freshmen to step in and do that sort of thing it'd be awesome and magical if it did it'd also be a rarity so i i kind of foresee a deeper platoon of safeties this year not only because tyree gillespie and joshua bledsoe uh, rightfully ate up all the um, the snaps with the safety positions, but you got some pieces. You got a lot of pieces, and they're pretty young. And I think it's just going to be kind of like, hey, let's just see what we can what we can roll out here. <laughs> who can who can do what mm-hmm. and where? Um, you know, you got Martez Manuel as kind of like your your building block, and then you figure out who can play well with him. So 
it, it'll be a, a kind of messy probably, and, and that's okay. That's that's what happens when you have a young secondary. But uh, you kind of hope that a young guy takes uh, takes hold and, and starts from day one or at least starts halfway through the season. You can build around that. Uh, and then just seeing how the safeties get deployed, whether it's two, whether it's three, if they uh, you know step up into the linebacker slot, if it's a true strong safety boundary safety, like well, there's a lot of questions to look at. But safety is going to be an issue, and corner is you you feel pretty good about it. I'm kinda, so, I don't know. So to clarify, I, it's not that I feel great about it, but I do think they have more possible answers at the position at corner that I feel confident could step up. Like they That's have fair. talent at corner. Yeah. At safety, I don't know that that is the case. Yeah. I know that Martez Manuel is really good. I'm pretty sure that Jelani Williams can project to be a really good player. Besides those two guys, I just don't know right now. Tyler Hibbler, I think, will be a good player. Is he ready right away, though? I I would be surprised. That seems like a really fast transition at a really difficult um, position to translate right away. But... Yeah. That that's why I have so many more concerns or questions about safety than I do corner. And it's not that I feel great about corner, but I feel a lot better about it than I do at safety. So Chris Abrams drain um, was listed as a wide receiver last year and became a corner towards the end of the year. And he has, he has officially made that move. There are a lot of ways to interpret that. How do you interpret the move of, Oh, Hey, we're, you know, we got a lot of young youth at both receiver and corner. We're going to take this receiver and make him a corner. What do you what do you read into that? I don't think he was going to make it at receiver. Um, and the other thing is they had so many specifically at slot. I I don't think he was going to be able to fit into that mix. I mean, we're hearing reports this week that Dominic Lovett has been awesome at camp so far. He's a freshman. Um, you've got Mookie Cooper who is going to be at that spot. Jalen Knox, whenever he gets back from his injury, is going to be there. You're already, at best, fourth on the depth chart, and two of those guys have at least three years remaining in college. So there was just no way that Chris Abrams' drain was going to be able to fit into that depth chart. He has a much better chance of playing at corner than he ever was going to have at playing at receiver. So I think that's what I would look into it as, is being, here's your best chance to play for us. It's on the defensive side of the ball, not on offense. And does that say something about corner? Yeah, it's unsettled. I think it also, though, it goes back to what I said. They've got a lot of talent at that spot. So it doesn't make me concerned about it. It just tells me that it's more settled, more unsettled than at wide receiver. Yeah, I agree. There's always some kind of you know freak-out conspiracy theory about every little move. and I'm not buying it. I think, yeah, just he was, he was an okay receiver, not a super great punt returner. Hey, let's get you. you got some experience at corner. Let's let's see what you can yeah. do going forward. So I mean, know. like, look at it from his perspective, right? Where would you rather be? A spot where you're clearly passed over by two new dudes and the guy that already was starting at your position a year ago, or a position where you see one guy that's returning from a torn ACL, another guy in Burning who had some struggles last year, let's be honest, and then there's Enos Rakestraw on the other side. Like yeah, I'm going to go to the corner position where it looks like there might be some playing time available. Yeah, there's new guys coming in, but I'm new too, and I believe in my mm-hmm. talent. I'll go beat them out. Can For he sure. actually do that? Well, I mean, maybe not, but <laughs> but at least <laughs> if you're him, it makes a ton of ton of sense, especially if Drinkwitz came to you and said, hey, we think you should move over to the defense side of the ball. Open, except that was open arms. Agree. Say so, you mentioned you mentioned the name, Dominic Lovett. Uh that is kind of a developing story uh, today, uh, Tuesday the 2nd. 
so so go go back to last year. Now, obviously, there was no spring practice. There was only fall practice. Uh, but the the thing that the Drinkwitz staff likes to do is that newcomers have to earn their number. Right? You got to you got to prove yourself in practice before you get to wear a number on your jersey. That's a weird little motivational thing. And eh, knock yourself out. We don't really care. However, we are three days into practice. Mr. Dominic Lovett already has a number. Now, I think BK and I have slightly different views on why that's the case. But regardless of our view, I think we agree he's really freaking good. My view, by the way, is just he's probably recruited as part of that. Like, hey, man, you're a four-star, you're a blue chip. You come here, we'll, we'll let you have whatever number you want because he was number seven in high school. He's number seven now. Um, I think that was just kind of part of the shtick. Uh, but regardless, it sounds like he's having a pretty good couple of days and he's already got a number with his name. So here's the way that I look at it. It is a little bit different. I think he was always going to get the number seven. I don't think he was going to get it this early, though, unless he had a really good start to camp. Um, and that's where we kind of – the fork in the road comes is the number, I'm with you. I think that was definitely going to be there for him. When he gets it, though, is meaningful. And these things, like, you can take it or leave it. I, I'm i not much into the whole, like, you've got to earn your jersey, but whatever. I College coaches do it all over the place. <laughs> but if you're going to do it, then I am going to place some value in when you decide to give it to certain players, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact that he gave one so quickly to Dominic Lovett when that has not been the case at times with receivers a year ago. And if you remember, I think J.J. Hester was one of the last guys to get his number. Yeah, He did not end up really seeing any playing time last year. So it was in some ways indicative of which guys were performing well and were moving up the depth chart a little bit. And so as much as I want to poo-poo on this, I can't. I'm the guy that said that I thought Dominic Lovett looked like a guy that probably wasn't going to contribute a ton his freshman season because he didn't run a ton of routes in high school. If he's already performing well, I'm happy to be wrong on that. I would love to see him get out there because that tells me He's been outperforming every other guy that's already been there for a year, two years, three years in this system. I, that that's that's a pretty good thing to see from a guy that should be a high school senior right now. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so yeah, Hester was the last one last year. Do you remember who the first one was? Was it Rakestraw? It was not. No. Who was it last year? Chance Looper. <laughs> oh, he he did see some playing time. He did. He had that huge catch against uh, LSU. He ended uh, up playing a lot more than I expected him to this year. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's value in it. I think there's value yeah. in it. Um, I agree. How much value depends on how much you care about this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I I wouldn't put a ton. Like, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd say it's like a 5. It, it's not a nothing burger, but it is, it, it's not the end-all, be-all. But I do think there's value in the fact that he got this jersey so quickly. Yeah. Now, I've I've watched uh, Lovett's film. It's great, right? High school film always looks good. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a little snippet from practice today when they were talking about it. And um, looks good, man. He looks really good running against nobody and catching <laughs> catching passes with, with no coverage. But he is he is quick, and he changes really direction fast, like yeah. you would not believe. A um, couple over-the-shoulder catches, that's always kind of cool. I just, you know, who knows what that actually means, but – Oh, it's exciting to see BK. It's so exciting. <laughs> Blue chip players playing really well early in camp is something worth getting excited about. There's nothing wrong. If you're a Mizzou fan and you saw that report today and you were super excited, 
I'm not here to tell you you shouldn't be. That That is something worth getting excited about. Because if, if he ends up being really good right away, it could completely change the course of this offense next year. Oh, for sure. Like, if, if they have a guy that can take the top off of a defense, <clears throat> excuse me, you could put Kiki Chisholm back into that possession type of a role, and now you've got Jalen Knox playing in that kind of offensive weapon role. Okay. Now you're really starting to build something with the running backs that they have and with an experienced quarterback behind center going into the season. That's, that is something that could get me a little more excited. And what's Connor Bazelak working on this offseason? The deep ball. As he needs to. Yeah, well, he does. He also needs some deep <laughs> deep threats to throw to. Sure, so, yeah. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to hear. Um, so, I, you know, BK, I'll, I'll tell you, I was, we'll close with this. So I was listening to the radio the other day, and some Yahoo on 101 ESPN <laughs> was flapping his gums about uh, – Extending Drinkwitz forever, essentially. Just mm-hmm. give, give him whatever he wants. Uh, lock him down now, extend him, uh, and give him everything he wants based off of his, uh, his his one and a half years here. I'm not saying this, uh, let's see, what was it? This Brandon Kylie guy. A very handsome uh, was, gentleman, from what I hear. Eh, he sounds <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm not saying this dude was, was wrong. Uh, I think Drinkwitz has been doing an incredible job, especially with everything that we've talked about tonight. But seriously, you already want to extend him for forever right now? Listen, it's, is it a little tongue-in-cheek? Of course. Um, sure, sure. But, like, if Eli Drinkwitz today wanted to sign up for a lifetime contract, I would be willing to sign that sheet of paper. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have seen nothing thus far to give me any sort of questions about what Eli Drinkwitz is going to be. My biggest question about him, coming to Mizzou, and I think we talked about this around this time last year. What's recruiting going to be like? Because he's never done it at this level. He was the head coach at App State for a year. And you don't recruit like this at App State. The other question, what's the what's the staff going to look like? Specifically on the defensive side of the ball. Well, he's put together a pretty darn good staff. And oh, by the way, the recruiting is the best that it's been at Mizzou. Okay, so those two things have been cleared. Um... What's his offense looked like? Is he overwhelmed as the play caller, which was one of my concerns, while also being the head coach at a Power 5 school? Well, the answer to that seems to be no so far. The last remaining question, and it's a big one, is can he develop this talent that he's bringing in? So, should you wait to do this? Of course you should. Yes, uh, absolutely. No question about it. This is a ridiculous thing for me to say. It would never happen. But... That's the last question that remains for me for Eli Drinkwitz is, can you develop this talent that is coming to Mizzou? I think the answer to that is going to be yes, because he's put together a really good staff. So I'm not too worried about that part, but it is the last remaining question. For anybody who seriously thinks that we should just like, you know, give him any kind of extension. We, if he wins, let's see, if he wins eight games in a year or he goes uh, to a bowl game, he automatically gets extended an extra year. So if we think that he's as good, you know, as, as we, as we believe he is, if he's actually as good as we believe he is, then he's going to be extended in perpetuity, right? Like just keeps adding it on. So I'm not too, I'm not too worried about that. Um, the, I mean, BK, what's, what's the threat of him leaving? Like a, a blue blood coming in and throwing just all the dollar signs at him, right? That's basically yeah. it. 
So like, and they and they can do that either way. Like th- this this entire conversation is all in a hypothetical scenario because none of it actually matters. <laughs> because right, right. if if he wants to leave for wherever, um, Alabama after. Um, Nick Saban leaves like he's gonna go right like there's nothing Mizzou can do and if if he ends up being such a great candidate by the way and this was always my theory behind hiring a guy like drink if he ends up being a candidate for a job like that and gets it well then you have set your program up to be a really attractive place for other young coaches so exactly I I wouldn't be too worried about it but in in the hypothetical scenario where this did matter but it doesn't um I, I I would be fine with it right now I mean, I think at this point, it's not so much like extending his contract per se. For me, it's just giving him whatever he's asking for. If he is asking for an extension, which would be crazy pants insane, like, okay, let, I guess we'll talk. But what has he been asking for? He's been asking for uh, assistant pool money, which we have absolutely given to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has been asking for uh, improving the facilities, which, yeah, Jim Sterk, you know, <laughs> Hit, hit the trail and brought in multi-million dollar donations during during a pandemic. So, yeah, we're delivering on that. If he's asking for these things, that's that's really what I'm looking for. Are we delivering on what he wants, what he needs to build this program in the image that he wants to find success in the way that he wants? That's all I'm concerned about. Because, yeah, if, if, if Michigan fires Jim Harbaugh right now and says, all right, Eli, uh, we're going to give you $45 million over – six years mm-hmm. yeah I, look missouri is not is still a little cash strapped like they're not going to be able to out out money can in michigan okay so fine but what you what you're trying to do here uh between you know the assistant pool um the the facilities and the, and the bagmen <clears throat> is that you are hey. giving him the money <laughs> to play to play in the way that he wants to play to bring the recruits that he needs to bring in, and he's got all the financial support to feel to feel comfortable that he has the backing of everybody, that he has the athletic department behind him, that he's got the state of Missouri, the fan base behind him, and that he's got all the money that he needs to do what he needs to do to find success. And to me, like you can leave for a lot of money in an uncomfortable position, right? Like let's let's talk to Steve Sarkeesian in, in eight months and see how happy he is about being at Texas when he was at OC at, at Alabama making two million dollars a year okay so it's you can leave for for more uncomfortable positions for money but you make that decision hard when you know you already know you have the full support of where you are right now you have everything that you need Maybe you don't have all the all the buck signs behind your name, but you have everything else that you need, and you're going to leave that for a little bit more money. It makes that decision harder, and that's what you're looking for from an athletic department, and that's what I believe Missouri is actually providing for him right now. Yeah, it's it's in a lot of ways similar to the Matt Campbell experience at Iowa State, right? Yes, like they, exactly. They have made that a place where he is so comfortable that even when NFL jobs come calling right now, he's like, no, I'm good. Now, if mm-hmm. the perfect job came calling, I would imagine Campbell would listen. He would potentially accept the offer, and he would go along his merry way. But in the meantime, unless that perfect, ideal, exact situation comes around that he's been looking for, he's perfectly content staying at Matt Campbell. And Iowa State might not be like the um, the model organization that Mizzou fans want to point to and say, that's what we could be. I get that. 
But in terms of creating a culture where uh, a really successful, young, up-and-coming head coach wants to stay, that is exactly what Mizzou fans should be pointing to because they've been very successful in keeping Matt Campbell there so far, and that's what Mizzou fans should be hoping happens with Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou. Gun to your head. You have to You have to make a decision. You have to, you have to land one way or the other. Does he leave for the NFL or does he leave for another college job? Matt Campbell? Uh, sorry, Drinkwitz. Uh, I don't think Drinkwitz will ever go to the NFL. I don't think he's an NFL coach. Uh, oh, I really? will say college. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I don't think he. I don't know that his shtick works as well in the NFL. Ah, uh, gotcha. That makes sense. Um, and that what is not Campbell? a shot. I want to be very clear. That is not a shot at Eli Drinkwitz. I think he has a very specific skill set that plays perfectly to the job that he has. Yeah. Yeah. I am curious though. You think Campbell's an NFL guy? I think Campbell's going to be in the NFL someday. I don't know if that's in the near, like, immediate future, but I think eventually he will be an NFL head coach. And I think he could be yeah. a good one. Well, he certainly found a lot of success at Iowa State, which mm-hmm. is historically not an easy place to win. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, again, these are all problems for future us. Right? <laughs> Drinkwitz has not even started his second uh, his second season at Mizzou. Uh, we, we'll figure all that out when we, when we get there. But it is interesting just to kind of – just to talk about, just to look at, because he, he has been tearing it up uh, as far as uh, job performance recently, and, and and we just love him very much, and we hope that we can hold on to him forever as, as long as we can. Um, but, yeah, we're spring practice, hey, get out there. Get out there. Uh, Faroe's open this Saturday and the next Saturday, I want to say. There's two Saturdays, I think, that they're open. I think that's right. Um, and then um, spring game is, what, the 26th, something like that? Oh, we're actually having a spring game. That's I good. think they okay. announced that. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, get out there. I, we're in the SEC, man. Like, there's a lot of cloak and dagger, like, espionage stuff that goes on, that unnecessary espionage stuff, that just crazy neuroticism going on in, in SEC coaches. And it's refreshing to see that uh, our coach is like, yeah, screw it. Come on out. Come see what we're doing. And, <laughs> and you don't get that opportunity a lot. So if you are in the Columbia area or, heck, if you're just in Missouri somewhere and you want to make the drive, go check them out. Uh, see what's going on and – and see who gets the numbers and, and see what kind of schemes they're running and who's playing and who's stretching and who's looking good and how many molds get cut off. R.I.P. Case Cooks. March 20th mold. for anybody looking beautiful. to go. March 20th. All right. 18 days away. Cool. Um, BK, any last parting shots? I don't think so, man. Uh, fun time to be a Mizzou fan. A huge, huge get in Sam Horn. I uh, can't overstate mm. how massive that one is as a recruiting win for Eli Drinkwitz. Guys like that help build the rest of this recruiting class. So it's not just that he landed a four-star elite-level quarterback, blue-chip quarterback. It's also when he landed him, almost a year before the official signing day of next year. So that's that's what the big part is of this. Mm-hmm. The future's bright, starting in the quarterback room and spreading itself out. Who knows what Who knows what recruiting wins we're going to have by the next time we come to you. But, uh <laughs> We'll find out. Uh, That is the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. You can follow us on Twitter at Nate G. Edwards. You can follow him at BK Sports Talk. You can listen to him on the radio at 101 ESPN. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, NYZ. See you.